Kia ora, welcome to Cinema in Context as we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name's Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chan. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm Max Tarrant. And this week we're discussing two Woody Allen films. We're talking about Cafe Society, which came out this year, and Manhattan, which came out way back in 1979. So to start us off, Max, do you want to give us a bit of an overview of Manhattan? Manhattan came out in 1979. It's a classic in Woody Allen's oeuvre, um, if I pronounce that correctly. Um, and uh, this is his first black and white film. Um, obviously, Woody Allen's in the uh, main role, and he has his partner in Diane Keating, uh, who plays that fantastically. Um, this is just absolutely classic Woody Allen. It's a love note to the city, but also much of rom-com and, and established a lot of the tropes of that um, genre. Right. Cafe Society. William, give us a bit of context. Cafe Society. So, we're firmly heading into late period Woody Allen with this movie, uh, album in 2016. Uh, also, kind of a, a throwback to, to earlier, more romanticised notions of Hollywood, set in the 1930s and about a Woody Allen a surrogate, played by Jesse Eisenberg, who is thrust into the titular Cafe Society, where he has to learn how to be hoity-toity with the hoity-toits. Uh, and then there's love triangles, there's uh, twists, turns, there's family issues. Yeah, all that, all that Willie Allen stuff. All that jazz. It's <laughs> appropriate. Lots Rest. of jazz in both movies. Yeah. I guess, I guess one of the first things that, um, that hit me on re-watching Manhattan is that um, Manhattan, obviously, you've got a, a New Yorker who's in love with New York and who is going through the romantic um, slings and arrows of romantic misfortune, if you will, in a New York context. And interestingly, Cafe Society takes this New Yorker, as you say, William, his, his cipher being uh, Jesse Eisenberg this time, and takes the bloke out of New York and move, removes him to Hollywoodland. Um, and it's interesting to me simply because Manhattan, as you say, Max, is a, a, a love note to New York, but... Um, Cafe Society, you've got this protagonist who's effectively saying, I can't be doing with New York any longer, I can't be doing with the suffocating family environment, I want to go to the golden lights of Los Angeles, to Hollywood, and I'm going to see if I can make it there as a, as a writer, as a, a filmmaker, or whatever it might be. And so effectively, for me, Cafe Society, for, its, um, for whatever it's good or bad, and we'll talk about that shortly, I really loved the fact that he had daubed the whole film in this beautiful golden light and did make it almost a love letter to old-time Hollywood, which I thought was an interesting, you know, switch from one coast to the other in terms of Woody Allen, who's probably one of the most um, famously, recognisably New York-loving filmmakers of our time, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. A classic Jewish New Yorker, yeah. Mm. It's interesting though, um, he has been doing this tour of the world for the last wee while and really writing love letters to these different cities. I True. mean, Paris I Love You literally is, is the title. Mm. Uh, so it's interesting, because I, I agree, he is, he is the New York, he's the, he's the New Yorker, you know, he, mm. he, he always, you know, you know exactly who you're with, with yeah. Woody Allen, but... Paris, I love you. Um, there was midnight, in, midnight in oh, Paris. Midnight in Paris. What am I thinking of? Oh, Midnight in Paris. Paris, I love you is a different. Is the anthology? Oh, of course it is. Yes. Okay, well, let's scratch that last comment. But, but mid Midnight in Paris is what I'm talking about. There's the yeah. Venice, the Venice set musical. Everybody says I love you. Is that Venice? Mm. If I remember yeah. rightly, um, um, Viva Vicky uh, Barcelona. Mm. Yeah, that's of course one of my favourites. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, good point. So he's, he's kind of left New York in later life. I can't remember now where Blue Jasmine was set. I suspect that's back in was New York. San Francisco, right? Oh, yeah. mm. right. So finding things yeah. out. He is, he is moving around. He is moving When's he going to do New Zealand? Mm. <laughs> I doubt it. It is the opposite of what he kind of stands for. Like, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, no. Can you imagine? He's not really, he's not really a kind of environment kind of uh, go into nature kind of guy, is he? Yeah. He but, likes the culture in the cities. Could he do a bit film about Wellington? I don't know. But also in, in New Zealand. Cafe Society. <laughs> well, the sequel, <laughs> set in Wellington. But also New Zealanders are the antithesis. They talk the antithesis yeah. of how New Yorkers talk. Yeah. It would be yeah. hilarious. Instead of having all these kind of overzealous New Yorkers all kind of having their say about everything, you'd just yeah. have a whole lot of, if you'll forgive me, um, flat-voweled kind of like, <laughs> oh, no, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Although the downplayed humour could... Could be a bonding point there, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) But I think wrapped up in your own neurosis is not something that we typically... It's not a typical... No. No. But get over yourself, mate. (laughs) Harden up. Harden up, bro. Can you imagine? Him and Peter Jackson having a conversation, maybe, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Peter, 48 frames per second. (laughs) (laughs) That's so many. Um... Yes, so, anyway. We got completely sidetracked. Should we do some general feelings about um, yeah. one of the films? Yeah. Should we start with Cafe Society? Why not? Yeah. Go for mm-hmm. it. My feeling was that it was good by the end. Um, no, good's the too end. strong a word. <laughs> good's, good's too strong a word as well. I liked it. I don't think it's a good movie particularly. Um, but I enjoyed it and it is classic Woody Allen so you know what you're getting mm-hmm. it's just a bit you awkward you definitely know what you're getting that's, yes. that's mm. it yes. it's Thanks. just a bit awkward there's something a bit awkward about it Kristen Stewart's um, is it Kristen Cri- well, Stewart mm-hmm. yeah. is, is a bit awkward like chosen for that reason I really want to talk about her mm. yeah. um, but there's a kind of awkward relationship with reality I felt like I'm like mm-hmm. I'm not sure how close to this film I'm supposed to be am I supposed to be really in there with these characters or is it more of a fantasy? Mm. And that kind of didn't get established for me, so I was always kind of jolted in and out. And the times I felt most comfortable was probably near the end where we <coughs> finally do have some resolution of the relationship. I don't want to spoil it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were definitely a lot of times, even when the kind of romantic moments that should be very comfortable, where I was kind of like jolted out and feeling like, mm. oh, this, isn't, this doesn't feel natural for some reason. Mm. I, I agree with you in terms of feeling awkward and, and it being good by the end. Because I was sort of sitting there for the first half when it wasn't LA going, oh, this is, this is strange. I'm not clicking with this. And the moment it moved to New York, mm. it was, I oh, really moved, enjoyed it. moved to LA? Or... No, no, no. So it started in LA right. and then it moves to New York halfway yeah. through the film. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know right. it's a huge spoiler to say that. No. And I, that for me, the whole film picked up. Mm-hmm. When I guess the Cafe Society actually became a part of the movie, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And yeah, Kristen Stewart, I think, I really enjoyed her performance, but her character was just awful. And every scene with her, I was like, oh, the film just like, grinds to a halt. But I guess that tension of her character being the kind of like, you know, she's got those two lovers, who will she go with, is, is where the guts of the film is. Mm-hmm. She is a nothing character, who, but she, I think she's chosen both... Uh, personally, I didn't really like her acting, but I think both of those factors, she's this kind of non-person who's 
he kind of, I think Woody Allen as the director projects his desires. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. He, he, like, he says in the films things like, I just loved her face, like some character says that. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like this, for me, this is, this is Kristen Stewart, like, to the, to the T. Like, she, I don't think she's a great actor, <laughs> and she feels quite awkward, but she's such a girl next door and just has this quality that somehow emanates uh, through her that... Mm. And she doesn't need to talk. Her, the quality of her character yeah, she's, crap. Yeah, she's just pretty <laughs> and, much. And it's just like I just stop listening a lot of the time. Yeah, sadly, she's, there's is... no real character and, there. And, oh, sorry. Um, so when and when she does talk, uh, I never found anything of of value. Uh, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, but I think it's done on purpose in a way. Do you think so? I I don't know. Uh, I I think a lot of her character is. It's placed upon her by kind of clunky exposition from yeah. both Jesse Eisenberg and Steve Carell's character. Mm. Look, uh, she's she's a mechanism. Mm-hmm. Or I, 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 she is basically yeah, she's the prop. She's the prop because for the guys. Yes, she is the man. Yeah. She is the woman. Sorry, that both men are in love with. And yeah. It's not a spoiler. Yeah. But both men fall in love with her, and to me, she is the the two thousands version of obviously Diane Keaton in yeah. Manhattan, who yeah. again is not a prop. Interestingly, because she's extremely <laughs> articulate and yeah. vocal, but she is the woman who both Gal, Gil, Gale, Gale, mm-hmm. uh, and Woody Allen's character, hang on, y- uh, Yale. Yale, Yale, and Woody Allen's character are in love with, mm-hmm. right? So once again, you've kind of, you've got two people, who, the two men with a close relationship, you've got uncle and nephew mm-hmm. in Cafe Society, you've got best mates in Manhattan, they're both in love with the same woman, and the woman, interestingly, in both cases, is kind of, she sort of, um, oscillates, doesn't she, between mm-hmm. whether she's particularly in love with one or particularly in love with the other, and you know, but she's a cool person to hang out with. Very similar relationships as mm-hmm. well that start with Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart hanging out together in that mm-hmm. really lovely platonic precursor to a romance. Mm-hmm. Um, similar with Diane Keaton and uh, Woody Allen's character in Manhattan. But interestingly, as you guys have pointed out, Kristen Stewart is not this witty, articulate woman who says, but I'm beautiful and I'm smart and I deserve better than this or whatever. Mm. She's just a very lovely girl next door. Mm-hmm. Cypher again, isn't mm-hmm. she? And there's, a, there's a moment in there where, quite late in the film, where it's very clear that she's meant to be telling a story that's, that is <laughs> um, Jesse Eisenberg, the Woody Allen surrogate, um, remembering how amazingly beautiful she is. And the story is so boring, though. This is this is my example to back up my point that she's she's not meant to talk interestingly, and it's just purely her face that you're watching, and it's just this horrible story. And it's like that that it must be intentional, I think. Which moment are you talking about? This is when they come and sit down at the at his new bar. But isn't that isn't that supposed to be that she's. She's become, become the Hollywood. She's become the bimbo, isn't that yeah. the point of that story? But she doesn't yeah. kind of pull it off either way. No, does she? she she completely does not, and she doesn't. She I think she doesn't pull off um, the pre transformation where she's supposed to be so like unaffected by by Hollywood corruption and by yeah. the, well, none of it. It's yeah. just yeah, a, a big dud, I would say. Yeah. Mm. And I don't understand why Steve Carell's character, being a hotshot Hollywood producer type guy. I don't really understand. I understand why he's attracted to her as his assistant, but I don't understand why he wants to marry her and have a life with her. And so, do you yeah, think it doesn't get pulled off at all? Does it? Doesn't really. Do you think if Jennifer Lawrence had been in that role, it would have been different? Oh, jeez. You're not a fan. Oh, look, I love Jennifer Lawrence, but she's ubiquitous, and I'm I'm kind of tired of that. Okay, well, who who then? Who would be better in that role? Someone Scarlett Johansson. I don't know. Scarlett Johansson has pluck. She's probably too confident. Mm. Yeah. 
there's there's something about Kirsten Stewart's lack of confidence that does suit that position. She's just such a such a girl next door that she can't even act. I think what you guys have identified is precisely something you've touched upon, Max, at the very beginning when you said it was good. Well, wait, it wasn't good, yeah, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I feel as though, as you say, William, it's classic Woody Allen in its in its um, conventions, mm-hmm. but it's but it's not a but it's not a great film, and it's not a great Woody Allen film, and. I, I personally, I enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed it because I love drinking champagne out of champagne saucers. I love the idea of wearing these beautiful dresses, and I would love to spend all my life sitting around in one of those bars. So it does succeed in only in much fulfillment. And when you mentioned earlier, is it reality or is it fantasy? Yeah. I feel very strongly that all I got from it is fantasy because I didn't care. I was not invested mm. in what happened to the people in it. Mm. Uh, and, I mean, there's even, like, you know, there's kind of, um, and maybe spoiler, whatever, who cares? There's, you know, there's <laughs> notions of adultery or kind of, you know, mm. there are things that emotionally could be quite hard-hitting mm-hmm. um, and that I might find quite sort of troubling or distressing. But I feel as though Woody Allen treats these things as, well, you can't help who you yeah. fall in love yeah. with. Yeah, and now I'm well, in yeah. love with someone else. And, yeah. Man, yeah. so it's no big deal. And I found... He does it in, in Manhattan as well, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's dating a 17-year-old in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, but, oh, does he, would he rather be with uh, Diane Keaton? And, oh, well, then does he, was he, does he want to go back with Mariel Hemingway? And, oh, wah, wah. And it's, ah, I, I don't know. And this comes on to the whole big chapter of the book that we're about to open, no doubt, about Woody Allen as auteur. And Woody Allen is the writer of these fantasies. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he is now a 70-something, 80-something-year-old man married to his considerably younger stepdaughter, and who I think so, is, who I so think cool. is definitely, um, who definitely imbues most of his films throughout his career mm. in some kind of wish-fulfillment way. Mm. And he's probably mm. not looking for a Diane Keaton anymore in his life. He's looking more for a Kristen Stewart kind of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. See, see, for me, that, uh, just interestingly about what you were saying before, with the parallel between Kristen Stewart as Diane Keaton... And you're right, when you said all those things, I was totally on your page, but what I thought originally was that the parallel was Tracy, the young girl in Manhattan. As being the parallel As, with Kristen Stewart. She's this object of desire. She's a, she's, well, she's not object of desire. Object of kind of just pure, natural beauty. And innocence, in a way. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because the relationship statuses um, are different because if he's 42 and she's 17 in that first mm. film and to be fair to Woody Allen it, back in 1979 he makes no bones about the fact that he's uncomfortable with the yeah. relation he's writing mm-hmm. it as a you know oh, I'm old enough to be your father or actually I'm Great. older than your yeah, father yeah. and you know <laughs> this is awkward and you should you've got your whole life ahead of you and he's very very avuncular and kind of he's raising her isn't he he's kind of like um helping her towards maturity. Mm-hmm. I guess the difference in cafe society is that Jesse Eisenberg is effectively a, a, an equal, mm. age-wise, isn't mm-hmm. he? And in terms of his immaturity and his, I've just come to town, and... Yeah. and does, so that's do you think different. he has to do that in some ways? Because like, he, so he could have put himself in the film and just been the 73-year-old with a Or be girl. the Steve Carell character, I suppose, who mm. is older. Yeah. Mm. Who, by the way, is fantastic. Yeah, he's mm. good. Oh, he's really is good. great. Oh, really good. I, I read um, that role was originally written for Bruce Willis, which oh. was really fascinating. Wow. Yeah. And Willis had to drop out, they got Steve Carell. And Steve Carell was great, right? Yeah. Really good. Yeah, he was terrific. That great farce with him at the coat check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is just yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love Parker Posey. 
she's she's so good. Anything she's in, and she's yeah. she's only in at this for a little. Small... She, she brings so, so much light and so much energy to to the movie as well. Yeah, and yeah. and often when I watch her, she's in the. Like we were talking the other day about mascots, the new Christopher Guest film, mm-hmm. and she she does that kind of outrageous comedy so well. But just to see her in a in a relatively real role, yeah, you know, yeah. it is yeah. heightened. Yeah. But she brings uh, just the sincerity to that role. It's just lovely. I. <laughs> I love Parker Posey. Mm. A really good performances there. Jesse Eisenberg, I have a real issue with Woody Allen impersonations, and Woody Allen seems to do that in his films, mm. I guess, because he doesn't want to act in them anymore. He's got just too his old. Voice. Yeah. And Interesting that he still had his voice. Oh, yeah. Right. I thought it was terrible. Interesting, mm. though, eh? He's and like he he sounded, yeah. he sounded so old. Yeah, he was I so bored. This is yes. the first Woody yeah. Allen film where it's like, oh, right, he, he just turned 80. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he kind of just tells the story like this, yeah. and... That's what happened. But it's kind of like he won't let it go. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and, well, isn't that with the film as well? It's well like, totally. I'm still making the That's same right. old stuff, mate. That's exactly right. I'm not giving up until... But I, I tell you what, I, I thought about that because, you know, he's, he produces effectively a film a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, some years he produces yeah. two a year. And so good. Um, which is that whole, I love the idea of quantity producing quality. Me too. You know, just, just keeps pumping them out. Yeah. One of them will be great, but he's sure. not, obviously he's not concerned about yes. creating the perfect yeah. movie. Right. He just makes it and, you know. Just likes to make stories. Tell it's so good. Absolutely. I, and I it's, do admire that. It's, yeah. it's like a piece, was, I was sitting there watching it and when the titles came up and it's the same font. Always. And it's the same kind of uh, <laughs> format and structure. Mm-hmm. I thought, it's almost like watching a piece of theatre, you know. You're going to the theatre, you're watching the next Woody Allen film, yeah. and you know the the tropes are there. I don't really mind. I don't mind that there's a voiceover. I don't mind that there's kind of the the story that just evolves and takes you where it's going to take you. You don't really know where you're going to go. I was sort of sort of thinking they're going, okay, he's these two characters. They've fallen in love. They created a relationship that happens in like a ten second montage with a voiceover, yeah. which <laughs> you can, I could criticise as being very lazy, but it's, he's just not concerned with... No. He's just um, not concerned with I like that, the fact know? that... It, so he's, he's pumping these movies out, and I did like going into this, you feel like he's being confident, he's being bold, he's not, he's not like... He's, he, obviously there's some tropes that he keeps the same, but at the same time he's like, I'm just making this movie, man. I'm just yeah, like, yeah, I'm doing yeah. some things. I'm going to have this really bold gold light. Cool. And it like it kind of doesn't work the whole thing all together. But you're right. Like If he keeps on making them, sometimes... Because if it, if it, it does work, it's because I yeah. love Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I love Midnight in Paris. I even love if I can't always, Even if I can't always remember the name of the film. <laughs> um, I love uh, Blue Jasmine. And yeah. I just think well, when he sometimes throws the elements together, yeah. and that's cinema, isn't it? You never it's, really know well, if it's, it's going to be great. You, you, you know? need to be confident. I think... You know, you can't get bogged too bogged down and just go, okay, let's do it all slowly and get absolutely and everything get involved. Mm-hmm. Just do it quickly and just go, well, okay, you, let's try it. Would, would you, I mean, you know, I love, we all know I love Tarantino, but, you know, he's so yeah, prescribed. He's the opposite, yeah. And he, obviously on set, he likes to have a certain spontaneity. Who, Alan? Tarantino. Tarantino. Mm-hmm. But he's so controlling because he wants to have this oeuvre. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants anybody to pick up one of his films and it'd be great. But it's a very different philosophy to Alan, who yeah. just creates, creates, I, creates. I feel like Woody Allen is more is is a storyteller, mm. and and and, he, and his stories are more or less um, local stories, aren't they? They're mm-hmm. usually fairly intimate. They're relationship based. I think one of the reasons Midnight in Paris is actually one of my favourites is that it actually stepped outside of that and yeah. moved into that, again, for me, realm of fantasy, because yeah. I would love to mm-hmm. live in Paris back in the... Time trail. What are we talking? What are we talking? 20s, 30s, 40s, right? Um, and to drink in those bars with Hemingway and people like that. And so to me, suddenly it was doing something a little bit 
different and, 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 and magical realism and stuff. But otherwise, Woody Allen's films are the same, the same. Mm-hmm. Kind of, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Except that, as we've said, geographically now, he'll give us a different setting. But I felt that this one suffered in terms of its script. And I feel mm-hmm. as though, certainly in the 70s, what made him so great mm-hmm. was he was the one on screen delivering these kind of very wry witticisms with an absolute deadpan face. Um, and now I, I, I find that his script, I thought this script was very sort of average. There was nothing mm. that I remembered as being particularly witty. Yeah, mm. there were some opportunities there as well, that, like just some scenes that don't quite sustain the tension yeah. or the humour that you... That there almost could be. There, there was a one highlight, though, I really enjoyed Anna Camp as the, the prostitute. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, that's a right. nice that was great. That but actually, which, yeah. that was superb, and that was very well scripted mm-hmm. and exceedingly well acted. And the acted. timing was good, and yeah. it was just really, really snappy. Mm. And, You're and so right. Energy. Eisenberg's mum mm. was quite good as well. Yeah, yeah. She was pretty great as a kind of um, the Jewish... Uh, matriarch. I loved all the gangster stuff. Oh, the assassin of Corey Stone. I loved yeah. the, <laughs> the gangster stuff through. and the sister. I thought that whole storyline, that's when yeah. the film lifted for me. You're so right. Because the, I'm being too hard. Because at the start of the film, I was like, why are they bringing this random asides? Like, yeah. Yeah. Random asides of the family. Like, is this going to come into it? And then when it yeah. did, I was like, this, yeah. 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 And that whole, this just the, 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 Again, the farce, I guess. Oh, well, not farce. The jump, the crash cuts to the bodies being thrown into the yeah, it was good. Yeah. Was good. Yeah. The whole thing could have been pushed the stylization a bit further, yeah. I think. And that's That would have made it a little bit less awkward, a little bit less... You're clear that it's fantasy and we're just kind of playing around here. Mm-hmm. I actually oh. found those crash cuts... Um, I actually found those way too on the nose. And I'm mm. a fairly on the nose person, <laughs> so if I'm saying this, they must be terrible. Um, because I actually thought, you know, you've got... Was it an, a voiceover? Or at very least it comes off as voiceover and they're saying something like, oh, he's disappeared. Um, and we, we know why he's disappeared yeah, in yeah, commas, yeah. and we don't yeah. therefore need to see somebody being sort of, you know, yeah, but shoved into the back of a car or like, whatever. But, the repetition <laughs> helped. Yeah, I guess. By going back to it, it's kind of like, we know that was on the nose the first time, but, you know... But it's funny. It's funny if you keep on smashing it. Yeah, you know, maybe like, that's true. Banging yeah. your head against it. The, the voiceover in Cafe Society was, I thought, was just terribly written. You know, yeah. it was mm-hmm. just explaining things we were already it, it, yeah. seeing. It didn't mean anything. Yeah. It didn't. Whereas yeah. the voiceover in Manhattan is fantastic. Like, yeah. that opening sequence, and I, I just, you know, you can see, you know, you can see that he wrote that film for that music, the Gershwin music. Yeah. Just, yeah. The way that he's he's rewriting the start of his book, yeah, and it's and all the things he's saying is New York, you know. Yeah. I just that's so brilliant, and just the lingering shots of New York City, and it's like I'm not as hugely enamored with Manhattan as I am with say Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. I rewatched Annie Hall recently. I love that <clears> film because um, Manhattan is a little bit more. It's a bit more of a downer, mm-hmm. <laughs> just slightly. But the shot, the filming, it makes up for it for me. Mm. Yeah. Every single one of those shots of that montage is like just a piece of art. Mm. In the opening of Manhattan. In the opening of Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. just the whole filming of Manhattan. Yeah. And, and Cafe Society. Just You, you, you turn to me and you're like, mise en scene. <laughs> and they're like, just yeah. everything is just beautiful. Yes. Like, put together. I think both the cinematographers have done amazing jobs with black and white and... Uh, what was Technicolor? Yeah, it's I mean, Technicolor, isn't it? Uh, Cafe Society was Cafe his first, um, his first digital film, right? Oh, really? I, I think so because, hmm. like, the very opening shot where it shows a a real flash, like Art Deco Hollywood um, mats. Uh, I was shocked at how sharp the edges were because uh, it was mm. all straight lines, mm. corners, 
And we, um, Max and Jim and I went to see it at a, our local art house cinema. Uh, but it felt like watching our IMAX, uh, IMAX footage. But he shows it's not stock. Because he says it, because I, when I, tell you what I thought. When the I colours first, and the When edges. I first opened it, I thought, oh, I wonder if this has been processed in Technicolor. Oh, it's that kind yeah. of like slightly, kind of turquoise tinge. Mm-hmm. And then he says in the opening, you know, the old style filming, like the old style world filmed in Technicolor. He says mm-hmm. that. Uh, so yeah. you could be right. Yeah. But I, I would be interested to know if they processed parts of the yeah. film in Technicolor. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, yeah, the, the colours look amazing. Mm. Yes. Mm. And everything, every shot was so clean. Uh, everything looked so... I, I mean, it wasn't unnatural, but it was very, very obviously, like, staged in a way that was very, very flashy and showy. It was almost like Kubrick meets Bess Lemon. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice yes. analogy. <laughs> yes. Probably too much going on in the mise-en-scene to be yeah. Kubrick, but yeah. There's a shot where Eisenberg is in the phone booth, and uh, out of focus on the, I think, left side of the screen, there's a, a tall towel with a globe, and it was just like, well, this is, this right. is basically film school theory, like, okay, we'll place the character here, yeah. and the foreground, background. And that yeah. was saying, it was like, centre of the world. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> See, I love all of the, talking about the world and planets, I loved the whole planetarium. Yes, the, yes. The, um, Whatever it was. Backlit, yeah, um, just the silhouettes in, 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 in Manhattan. Manhattan. That was and yeah. often just stark blackness. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Love that. There was an enormous intimacy, wasn't there? Yeah. In, they, they stood so close to... Everybody stood so close to each other in Manhattan. <laughs> mm. And then they, they're talking and he's so close that they want to kiss each other. And then he yeah. says later on... She goes, did you want to kiss? No, yes, no. yes. We, 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 we all know as an audience, we all know <laughs> yeah. that they wanted to kiss each other, you know? Yeah. He does, I think maybe that's the, he kind of clutters people together on screen mm-hmm. quite a lot. A lot of the time, it's Woody Allen, most, mostly tracking shots, following people around in the house, like quite over top of them. Mm-hmm. And then I think maybe contrast that to the big images of New York, really open and... Mm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's funny, like watching Manhattan... A lot of the big images of New York, um, did you guys find it kind of lopsided or asynchronous? So the characters were often on one side of the, the frame, uh, just because it was also super widescreen. Uh, and so your attention was always diverted to either the left or the right, and almost hardly ever uh, mm. at the center. Yes. Mm. There's a fabulous scene in Manhattan where, um, I don't even remember the characters' names, it's terrible, Woody Allen and Mary or Hemingway are in mm-hmm. the art gallery. And they turn, and mm. they're in left, left mm. of shot, and then there's an expansive wall and a door frame, and we can't see who's through the door, and they're like, oh, hey, yeah. how are yeah. you? We were just talking yeah. about you. And it takes a while for Yale to then walk into shot. Mm-hmm. Um, the and same, it's fabulous. It's great. The same yeah. thing happens when he's having a conversation with Diane Keaton, I think it's just before their first kiss, and there's just a shot of the kitchen or yeah. something, and they both go off, <laughs> off frame, and there's just yeah. the kitchen, just, they're just yeah. lingers in the kitchen, you can hear the conversation, Diane mm. Keaton comes back in, same sort of thing. Yes, there are loads, aren't there? There are loads of quite long, long takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and it just, I mean, and also when they're walking down the street together, particularly in all oh, of Diane boy. Keaton's little rants about things, mm, and they're yeah. walking down the street, and it's all, so... All single takes. Well, absolutely. Mm. Well scripted, well acted, mm. incredibly natural, and totally engaging. And that's I think, comes back to what whomever said about it's being like a play. Mm-hmm. A lot mm. of what he creates, because I suppose also because it's about relationships and talking, and very talky because he's Woody Allen... It isn't about the action, right? And so, therefore, it is. It's tantamount to an old coward play. And I, mm. bet, I bet that's what he, mm. you know, has mm. always loved and wants to emulate. Mm. So, 
Yeah, so the elephant in the room for me... The 17-year-old elephant in the room. Right. So, all through Manhattan, 1979, he's saying, but I'm 42, she's 17, I'm old enough to be her father. And then, I don't know, was it within 20 years mm -hmm. that he actually has established a relationship with his adopted... Well, actually, it's not his adopted daughter, it's, it's Mia Farrow's adopted mm -hmm. daughter, never, ever been Woody Allen's, but nonetheless, who was 16 or something, maybe, when their relationship began... Um, it's just kind of interesting to me. And I know this is not the first time anybody's had this revelation. I'm sure that there have been um, articles, both academic and slightly more slanderous, <laughs> written about this sort of thing for ages. But I find it difficult, and I've got to be honest, in the current climate of October 2016, it is even more difficult lately to watch films that have a discomfort to them in terms of the treatment of women, perhaps, or mm. uh, perhaps what mm. we might consider to be a less than feminist kind of view or aspect or, or, or whatever. Mm. And I realise I'm chucking together a whole lot of different sort of, you know, thoughts and issues here, but it's discomforting for me. I can't treat the Woody Allen, Mariel Hemingway relationship as... Oh, well, she's super mature, and yeah, it's well, consensual, it, and it's okay. Sarah, especially given the very ending of the movie, which is horrendous, like the implications of, of what happens in Manhattan. Yeah. What, uh, when he turns up just as she's yeah, about to go off to uh, Ready to, to destroy her life, basically, and mm. even he has advised against this himself earlier yeah. in the movie. Yeah. And the kind of coy smile. Yeah. Mm. Can we talk about Meryl? Uh, what's her name? Hemingway? Me, I think it's Meryl Hemingway. And she is the granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway, isn't she? I believe she may be. In comparison to, I guess we were criticising Kristen Stewart's acting, she got nominated for Academy Award for Manhattan. She did? Didn't she? She's <laughs> the only one. She and held I, her own, I, And to be oh, honest, I was, before I started watching the film last night, I said, what's the one thing I remember? The only thing I remembered from Manhattan was mm -hmm. black and white, I, I remember Meryl Streep's hair. Oh, Meryl Streep is amazing. And I remember the breakup scene in Manhattan. I remember that, and I was trying to think, what is it? And I, I just had this vivid memory. I, I mean, I must have watched Manhattan about ten years ago. This vivid memory of, what's it, Hemingway? What's, it, what's her first name? Meryl. Meryl. Crying. I just really remember that. And, I, and it's just heartbreaking. Mm. I yeah. think she does a fantastic job. And then Woody Allen's hand can coming off from off, Don't off stage. Don't cry. And then... Just oh, being real so awkward. awkward, yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. Cry. But but, but yeah. it's great because it's supposed to be awkward. Yeah. And just, yeah. you, you feel everything in that scene from both characters. Mm. I mean, I think quite aside from anything, one of the other things I, issues I have with it is that Woody Allen is not an attractive man to mm. me. And look, I like I like cerebral. Don't get me wrong. Um, I like witty, wordy cerebral, but and I don't got to be handsome. But um, but Woody Allen is not it. And um, and so I find I actually, as his time has gone on, I've started to go the not the gall exactly because you can write whatever damn story you like, mm -hmm. but he's always put himself in these films where he's either with, he's with gorgeous absolutely yeah. you, who find yeah. him attractive and wonderful to be with. Yeah. Um, and. Oh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't find that relationship it's, it's, very realistic. I don't the Manhattan like, one, or yeah, with the younger girl. Mm. I didn't feel like, oh, she really could be attracted to this guy for some reason. Mm. It was, just didn't hit me. But it does happen. I mean, it does it happen. Does happen. Young, yeah. Yeah. young people mm -hmm. get enamoured with an older person. That's. Mm -hmm. I would say taking them for granted. Mm. Totally. And look, we don't know, I don't remember there being any backstory about her. In fact, it's Mariel, M-A-R, 
I-E-L, but whatever. I don't remember there being any backstory in the film about... Well, actually, she does have a father, because he says, doesn't he, that if I had to, I'd probably be able to fight him. But mm -hmm. you know what I mean. There's all these clichés of if a young woman hasn't had a present father, maybe she will look to sort of replicate that in a relationship and blah, 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 blah. Well, I wonder if as teachers as well. I mean, we are teaching 17-year-olds, yeah. and, I mean, they do some stupid stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they make stupid choices. And I, you think, oh, gosh. And so for a 40-year-old to be going out with a 17-year-old, you know, in my mind, I, I think there's, a, there's an abusive quality, there's an abusive yeah. element yeah. there, that I, they should know better. I agree, and I feel as though, I mean, you're absolutely right, Jeremy, the four of us actually have signed, I'm sure we've signed some piece of paper, that we're, suggests we're that we have, conduct. We have yeah. a duty of care mm -hmm. towards these young people, so you're absolutely right, even, mm. if it is a, even if it's legal for us at 42 or as young as you chaps are, to be in a relationship with a 17-year-old, I think we would think twice about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, to be fair, the Woody Allen character does think twice about it, but well, he goes ahead with it anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. He basically justifies in that film what he does later on with his with mm. the 16-year-old girlfriend. And I think that yeah. he, there's an interesting relationship with reality because he's apparently his character, this Woody Allen character that he's developed over so many years, is not very much like him. Oh. But the interests of the story are, I'm sure, very much what he's interested in real life. Mm -hmm. So he's really interested in the complexities of social relations, uh, yeah. you know, romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. um, and he shows us in that film that he he gets bored of all that, um, or, or gets tired of all those tricky adult relationships. Yes, yeah. And he just wants the innocence of something young and beautiful. Mm -hmm. He shows us that. And, and then he goes he, and does it in real life. He even says it though as well. He says in that, that scene where he... I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the epiphany, the, uh, that's the epiphany the of the film. So he's yeah. saying about how he's so sick of all of these adults with yeah. neur neurotic kind yeah. of obsessions when really it's just blocking us from asking the big scarier questions in life. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, of course, there's that famous line where he comes to the conclusion that the, you know what, what are the things that make life worth living? Yeah. And the final thing is Lucy's face. And that's what motivates him to go and have that chase which is yeah. a strange I think it's a strange chase because you don't fully know I don't fully know what how he knows that that's where she is yeah. and he sort of you know he arrives just as she's going to London and he gets away with it by doing the, the, um, the was it spotlighting is that, yeah. is that trope so he just brings attention to it and he says oh my gosh I've arrived just as you're going just now you mean two minutes <laughs> in two minutes time I would have missed you and that's the way that he gets around that little yeah. um, mm. that little mind construct. you to be fair that happens in movies all the time doesn't it that someone arrives on the train platform just as the person usually they there. know usually they know yeah, that they're leaving at yeah, that time yeah Mm. It's interesting, you know, I, and, and I, I'm sure that if we have um, more mature listeners who were around when the film came out, they're probably, you know, shouting at their, whatever they're listening to us on <laughs> computers and going, you young idiots, you don't understand. <laughs> um, and, and I guess what I'm trying to articulate is we're talking about two films that are, how many did we say, 36 years apart? Yeah, yeah. 37. 37 years apart. The 70s was a very different time. Uh, relationships were very different, and I and I wonder, therefore, is it unfair to look back on films from that era with the 2016 lens on and say, "Oh, steady on that that's that's a little bit you know inappropriate," um, or actually, is that a, a totally legitimate lens to look through because it's it's still looking at art and well, I, I, can I pose the open questions here around the round table? For both Manhattan and Cafe Society, are we, as the audience, intentionally 
from the filmmaker's point of view, supposed to like any of the characters? Any of the characters. Because I, I, I mean, from, mm. from where I sat, uh, I did not like a single character in Manhattan. I appreciated where they were coming from, mm. but I would hate to be in that group of friends. I would hate to hang out with those guys. Uh, any single one, take a book. Uh, and then, even in Cafe Society, I mean, of course, they. one of the big points of the movie is the, the, the facile nature of being a big shot in Hollywood, or being even a big shot in New York, and how they long for a simpler time. But even that seems facile, and even that seems very pretentious. Uh, and I don't know whether the films are intentionally saying that these are not very good people who don't have very relatable qualities, or it's something that is not. It's not intentional. Like, what do you guys think? That is a fascinating question. Mm. And while you've been asking, I'm going through all the characters I can possibly think of, and I'm thinking Blue Jasmine, Kate oh, Blanchett's yeah. character. <laughs> She's not likable. I can't understand brilliant. why everybody loved her. Oh, see, but that's for me. Like, that's why I love Blue Jasmine because she is such a villain. Mm. Well, this is the thing. She is an yeah. absolute so, villain, and I love when they and it makes the movie. Because uh, then you've got Sally Hawkins' character. She's lovely in that film. She's in that abusive relationship. But yeah. She's very. I, I connect with her quite a lot. I, my vote um, to your question, William, is that actually I don't think Woody Allen is encouraging us at all to to take to make judgment on these people. I suspect that he's saying we're all flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me just show you flawed human beings who are struggling with human existence mm-hmm. because he will yep. know that mm-hmm. in, inherently. Yeah, that's I think my vote. That's the inf- the influence of kind of more art housey sixties period, right? It's just like I'm putting it on display, mm-hmm. and it does have little elements of kind of cinema verite. Just putting it on display here, I'm not making any judgments. This is just what How goes people on in are. life. Yeah. But, I mean, I would, I would respond to that. I quite like Mariel. I think she's she's a nice young woman who's, you know, mm. Mariel, well, well, I can't even figure yeah, out. Yeah, Mariel, Mariel, Mariel. Tra- sure. Tracy? No, Lucy. No, Lucy. The young girl. Yes. Yeah. Is it Lucy or Tracy? Oh, gosh, it's Tracy. 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 Names has been a massive thing in this podcast. Yeah. It's just actors' names. I, I, I mean, she's Gail's... Tracy's character. Yale? Yale. Yale. <laughs> Yale's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, small, small character. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, uh, well, she's else? nice, but only in a sympathetic way. Yeah, because true. I feel I was horrible say, for same her. With Tracy. She's yeah. like a super nice person. Well, I mean, we don't know that well, but she seems super nice. She and does. I feel mm-hmm. sorry for her. The fact that she's in a relationship, but that by her husband's own admission, is really solid and really good. Yeah. And that actually, he's trying to have it off with Diane Flimsy Keaton, yeah, who actually true. is a great. I guess. I guess role, you know there are some characters there that could could be likable. Like I love mm-hmm. Annie Hall and Annie Hall. But oh, yeah, yeah. what I will say is I think there's incredible. I don't know if it's intentional, but I think there's a self-loathing. In oh, a lot of Woody Allen's work, yeah, and I think that's that's it, fully comes from his own the, issues. Uh, the opening narration of Manhattan, holy moly, mm. that's just mm. it's mm. inviting the audience to laugh at his like all his his nevishness, mm. his his neuroticism, his nevishness. Yeah, what a great word. <laughs> I also found uh, the Diane Keaton character to be uh, it just reminded me of um, of all the the examples of the whole. <laughs> A manic pixie dream girl trope, mm. uh, except in the more literary sense, I guess. And in a more mature way. Uh, yes, yes. Because what she says is smart. Mm-hmm. Mind you, do manic pixie dream girls say clever, smart things? I guess they yeah, do. Yeah, totally. They're totally. insightful, totally. aren't they? Zoe Deschanel in Five Hundred yeah. Summer, isn't it? Yeah. Like, um, like the whole relationship reminded me of a lot of Scott Pilgrim with. Uh, have you guys seen that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> And so at, thing, the, yeah. at the beginning of the movie, Scott is dating a uh, underage high schooler. Uh, and he starts getting into a relationship. And I don't know if this is a reference to Manhattan. That would be really cool if it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a much more mature Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Mm. 
and kind of re-evaluates his life, except uh, albeit in a much different way. Um, I, I tell you, I, I found the ending of Cafe Society actually more satisfying than the ending of Manhattan. I think it was actually the best part of Cafe Society. Mm-hmm. It ended, and I don't want to spoil it, but it ended exactly where I felt it should have ended, because I was like, where the hell is this going? <laughs> I love that, the way they ended that. Manhattan was fine, mm-hmm. but it definitely felt like he didn't know how to end that film, and they just ended it. Mm. So that would be my one thing I'd say Cafe Society has on Manhattan. I agree with that. The, the moment the music starts swelling, and you know, you know it's the end of... Um, Manhattan? Oh, uh, uh, in Manhattan, yeah. you, you know it's the the final strains of Rhapsody in Blooms. Like, oh, they're going to end the they oh, they're going to end. And the <laughs> directed and written by Woody Allen. I'm yeah. like, all right. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I wonder? Manhattan, in the title and and in the opening voiceover, this is a love letter to a city. This is mm. not about girls. Mm. And I wonder, therefore, and Manhattan, Manhattan lives forever, right? And your love of Manhattan. I mean, you know, God willing, there will be a Manhattan forever. Um, and your love of Manhattan lives forever. This is the one I think that he's saying. And women will come and go. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, the fact that the, the, the relationships all end a bit funny and then the film ends a bit funny, I wonder if it's neither here nor there because the setting is the love affair mm. and the setting endures, if you mm. know what I mean. I think that that's what he intended to make. And I was, and I was reading the trivia saying that he can't believe he got away with that film and it's not it's his least favourite work he's done. Really? He hates oh. his acting. He wanted the studio to shelve it if they promised that he could, could pump out another film in a year. And so... You know, he like I was saying earlier, he was motivated to make that film because of the music. Mm-hmm. He just wanted he just wanted he was listening to the records and he thought, Man, black and white shots of the city. To this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so before music videos, right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, yeah, I mean yeah. MTV would have been bubbling around that time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean that's what he did. And so yes, you're right. That is what the film is. Mm. For better or for worse. Mm, and yeah. I mean if, I think it's much better than just that. But I think that's the reason why the ending is so short, and that's probably is the justification. And, and, and it doesn't matter if he winds up with the girl or not with the girl, because it's not kind of what no. it's about. Mm. It was just that's, a mechanism. That's yeah. really satisfying for me. Because yeah. I was going to ask you guys about that. I was kind of like, okay, so I understand these characters. What's the big thing with Manhattan? Um, which is a bit silly, and I, I kind of get the point a bit, but you've clarified it. Mm-hmm. And now my enjoyment for the film is much improved. Thank you for listening, our loyal listeners out there. We hope you enjoyed it. Please check us out in a month's time as we discuss another two films. All the best. Kakitano.